Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We're going to turn to the Word of God in just a moment. Uh, if you'll have your Bibles. How many of you have your Bibles today? Let me just see them. Amen. Awesome. I do want to just make a plug. We're bringing our Bibles. We're handling the Word. So, Grace Church guest, if you'll bring your Bibles as you come, we're going to handle the Word of God. We're going to turn to the Word in just a moment. I had, my family and I had the supreme privilege over a decade ago to serve as associate missionaries in Northern Ireland for a period of time. One of the things I love best about that experience was the, the great host of people we met from all over the world during that tenure in Northern Ireland. Ireland attracts people from Africa and Eastern Europe and, and Western Europe and all over the world to study. And, and in some cases, they're fleeing persecution uh, even uh, uh, to, to that country, fleeing persecution from their country to come to that country. It was an amazing experience. One time we took a picture after church. There were eight nationalities represented in one service. And you're not talking about services of 5,000 people. You're talking about services of maybe 30 or 40 people. Had eight different nationalities represented. We met so many people, so many friends from all over the world. And we enjoy meeting different cultures and different nationalities. It's something that my family and I really, really connect with. There was a particular week during our tenure there that we had the opportunity to travel to Scotland. We hopped on that ferry and crossed the North Sea. It was very rough crossing. I remember uh, much, many of the ones in our party were seasick by the time we got to Scotland. Very rough seas that day. And uh, the, the Bible school and church there pastored by Brother and Sister Kelly in Glasgow, Scotland is amazing. To see what they've done in a country that is godless, that does not have a God consciousness is amazing, and they, they built that church and they built that Bible school, which in itself draws people from all over the world to study the Word of God and get ready to go out and preach the gospel, the apostolic message. It was a great week. We met even more people from even more portions of the world. That Sunday that we were there, there was an evangelistic service, powerful service ensued, and during that worship service, we sat in the audience like you are today, and they, we watched as they called for a soloist to come and sing for the congregation to lead in worship. And as we sat there, I watched as a man, middle-aged man, sitting midway back, stood. And his daughter, who was probably nine or ten years old, took him by the hand and led him to the platform. She helped him with his guitar. And he got all that situated. She helped put his mic in place. And then she went and sat down. And as this man, as his empty gaze fell out across the auditorium, we realized that he was blind. And he left, a, a, he, he began to speak in that Scottish brogue that they have. And he left a word of testimony. And then he began to sing a song that I'd never heard before. And I still remember it to this day. And the song simply said this. In his Scottish brogue, he said, and he sang, The cross is still there, even after all these years. I've never forgotten that moment. Sitting in a congregation, in a sense there was people from every nation, tongue, and creed there. Every ethnicity, every nationality. There was a man singing who had serious physical difficulties. Yet all of us collectively were looking at that great emblem of Christianity, the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Something that happened with that Jesus Christ put his life on the line 2,000 years ago that still was relevant to that moment, to that hour, to that people. No matter their state of brokenness, no matter where they came from, no matter what they were going through, the cross was still there. And it was still powerful to move in their life. I want to preach to you today, the cross is still there. Let's go to the Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. One verse of Scripture, but I do ask that you turn there as per our new, our new motive and our new effort. 1 Corinthians 1, I'll give you just a moment to find that. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Actually, the whole first chapter is worth reading when you get home today. I'll reference some other parts of it in a moment. Verse 18, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. From the time that sin separated humanity from deity in the garden, we've needed a Redeemer. A remedy for sin's scarlet stain on the souls of men and women whom God created in His image and into whom He breathed the breath of life. Not only did sin separate, God, uh, separate us from God, but it brought sickness, shame, oppression, and a long list of other maladies that bring bondage. A temporary solution was found when God Himself slayed an animal and provided skins to cover Adam and Eve after their first sin. Then, through the giving of the law to Moses with its ordinances and the shedding of sacrificial blood of bulls and goats, there was a temporary remedy that would roll sin forward for a year. But those sacrifices fell woefully short in dealing with the sin problem once and for all. Because Romans 8 and 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So God in His divine providence and mercy provided a remedy. He came to earth as a man and dwelt among His own creation with the express purpose of giving His life a ransom for that very creation and to free them from the curse of sin. Galatians 4.3 For when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Jesus Christ, that sinless, perfect God-man, lived on earth for 33 and a half years, and He submitted Himself to the will of God and gave His life, dying that cruel, inhumane death of the common criminal on the cross. He was that perfect sacrifice for a world bound and dying in their sin. Now let's examine the cross of Jesus Christ today. Long before it became that ubiquitous symbol of Christianity, it was one of the most excruciating forms of punishment, even torture, ever being devised by man. And it is interesting to me this morning that in each of the four Gospels we have an account of the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion of Jesus. 
But we don't even have to turn to the New Testament for the details. For the details, we need look no further than the Old Testament book of Psalms, chapter 22. Perhaps that most prophetic of all Psalms. Here, in Psalms 22, we're given an exacting detail. The final hours of Jesus' life as they're played out. Even to the exact description of the nails being driven into His hands and into His feet. For instance, consider the very first verse of chapter 22. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Words that Jesus Christ would scream in agony hundreds of years later as He died on the cross. Verse 14 of 22 of Psalms, All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. The bones being out of joint, the heart... Uh, the action of the heart being affected, these are systemic to crucifixion victims. Verse 15, the psalmist writes, My strength is dried up, my tongue cleaveth unto my jaws. This verse paints a prophetic picture of the crucified one losing strength and becoming exhausted, succumbing to extreme thirst. Jesus, with His last breath, cried out, I thirst. It's very... Interesting to note here that the very God that said, uh, that the very God that promised living water said, If any man would come unto me and drink, you would never thirst again. In the very last moments of his life, he experiences extreme dehydration and completes his ultimate identification with human frailty in his final moments. In verse 16, the psalmist writes, They pierced my hands and my feet. The Gospels don't go into this detail. Of the crucifixion. They tell us in each time, each of the four Gospels, they say he was crucified. And we know from history what happens at crucifixion. But it's the book of Psalms that tells us they drove the nails into his hands and into his feet. Verse 18 They part my garments among them, they cast lots upon my vesture. And this is exactly what those Roman soldiers did to the garments of Jesus as he died on the cross. Could there be a more detailed a more graphic portrayal of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ than the one we find in Psalm chapter 22. Schofield, in his notes on this text, points out that when it is remembered that crucifixion was a Roman form of punishment and not a Jewish form of punishment, and that this chapter was written uh, hundreds of years before uh, the crucifixion, then the proof of divine inspiration of Scripture is undeniable. And it was this shedding of blood this perfect blood, this sinless blood, this blood of Jesus Christ that was sufficient to take care of that sin problem once and for all. For Isaiah 53 and 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. I want to remind this congregation today that the blood of Jesus still cleanses sin in 2020. In a world needing the cross and needing mercy like never before, the blood of Jesus still works. The cross today still brings peace. It is the answer for a world needing peace like it has never needed peace. And for the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. Colossians 1.20 says, Having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. The cross is the answer for peace in our lives. 
The cross in 2020 still brings healing. It is the answer for a world needing healing from a pandemic. It's an answer for healing from political and social fissures. And in a hundred other ways, it's by His stripes that we are healed. It was the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it is still the answer for the world today. Would you clap your hands to Jesus? And that message of deliverance, that message of salvation, that message of healing of the crucified Redeemer is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians and said to us, is the power of God. He said the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Jews stumbled at it. The Greeks counted it as foolishness. But Paul called it the power and the wisdom of God. Paul wasn't offended at the message of the cross. In fact, he owned it as the grounds for everything he believed as a Christian. And that's why he can say, I'm not ashamed of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The message of the cross has echoed down through the epochs of time, and it is still going out today. It has power. It has power to save. It has power to heal. It has power over any circumstance, over any distress, over any anxiety, over any disease, over any situation that you're facing today. The cross is still there, and it still has power to save. Whosoever will, let him come, for the cross is still there. The cross says there is something precious here. The cross is a lasting emblem of Jesus' love for every person in this building and every person in the world. Contrast that love of God, the love of God that you felt today with other religions. Buddhists and Confucians acknowledge that their leader came, lived, and died. Muslims believe that Muhammad rode back to heaven on a white horse. It's only the Christian that has the declaration that the God of all heaven would take on humanity and submit Himself to the form of a servant and suffer and die for the creation that He made and to set Him free. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but would have everlasting life. The most curious thing about the cross is that Jesus died for friends that He did not have. We were enemies of God. Our sins separate us from Jesus. In fact, the Scripture says our sin is what nailed Him to the cross. But His sacrifice became an open invitation to all to come and be friends with God. Paul said that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Colossians 2.14, he says again, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that were against us, nailing them to His cross. I want somebody to know today, God really must love you an awful lot. He must love me an awful lot. And I found that when Jesus responds to us, whether it's in our sin, whether it's in our needs, 
whether it's in our situations and circumstances. He always responds to us with love. He never condemns. The love of God never condemns. The Bible says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus told that woman caught in adultery, He said, Neither do I condemn you. Jesus doesn't come to condemn. If you feel condemnation today, that is either your heart condemning you, which the Bible talks about, or it is the devil condemning you, which the Bible talks about. God brings conviction. And when His conviction comes, it comes with an overwhelming sense of His love that motivates you to become closer to Him. The Bible says His kindness leads us to repentance. It's love that brings us never condemnation, but always love. I want somebody in the house to know today, God loves you. The other night I was praying, and you know how we do. We say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. We're praying with kids in the altar. We tell them, say, I love you, Jesus. And I was saying to Jesus, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And there was such an overwhelming sense of God's love that came into that room. And... It was so overwhelming, I just, I just said out loud, I said, I love you, Jesus. And I felt so much of his love, I just said out loud, I said, Jesus, you love me. Jesus, you love me. Jesus, you love me. I turned it around and said, Jesus. And when I said that, when I made that affirmation out loud, the love of God swept over my life and over my heart and over my spirit like I have never felt in 44 years of living. I want to tell you today, if you're struggling feeling the love of God, When we pray, you just need to turn around instead of saying, I love you, Jesus. You just need to affirm, Jesus, you love me. Jesus, you love me. God, I know you love. I feel your love. I feel what you're doing. And it's going to open up some things in your life. It's going to open up a channel in your life for God to love you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what nationality. It doesn't matter what physical infirmity. You are precious to Jesus. So precious that he gave his life for you. Take a look at the cross today. It says we are loved. And it says we are treasured by God. The cross says there is an enemy. If there's something precious, there is an enemy that would love to rob it away. Jesus said the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so you must understand today, everybody in this room, including the man in the pulpit, we have to understand there is an enemy. And he's not satisfied with just a little, but he wants it all. He wants your home. He wants your happiness. He wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to tear up your marriage and destroy the well-being of your children. He would like to tear up the fellowship of the church. He, he, He would like to take hopes and dreams and destroy them. He's a thief of life. He's a thief of things. He's a thief of reputations. He's a thief of dreams. And so we need someone. We need something to stand guard over our lives, to stand guard over our hearts, and to say, enemy, you can't have this one. And that something is the cross of Jesus Christ. More specifically, it's the blood of Jesus Christ on your life. It's the blood of Jesus Christ on your heart that will keep you and protect you from the attack of the enemy. The Scripture says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And when those Israelites were ready to move out of Egypt, when the day of the great jailbreak came, God instructed Moses to tell him, said, put blood 
on the doorpost of your home. Go slaughter, uh, go kill a lamb and put the blood on, on the doorpost of your home. And it was a sign to the death angel to pass over that home. It was a sign to the death angel that that was a child of God, that that was a family of God. I want to tell somebody today, when the blood of Jesus is applied to your life, I want you to know when the blood is applied to the doorpost of your spiritual home, it tells the enemy he's got to pass on by. It tells the enemy he can't have this one. It tells the enemy, I belong to Jesus Christ. You're not welcome here, enemy. I'm a blood-bought child of God. You've come too far, and you can't go any further. You can't have my home. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my kids, because I'm a blood-bought child of God. Oh, somebody, would you declare that in your spirit right now by clapping your hands? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I came across a song two weeks ago. And it's an old, obscure song, which is why I like it. I like the songs nobody else has heard of. I like the poems and the stories nobody else has heard of. If I find out you like it, then I don't like it anymore. I found a song written in 1903 by George Young. And it's called God Leads Us Along. Now, the Gaither Vocal Band people in the house, you may have heard it. I asked my mom, I, she's not necessarily gay through vocal band, but she's, uh, she's a, a seasoned saint. And I asked her, said, Mom, have you ever heard this song? She said, I've heard it one time. She said, I can remember one time that I ever heard this song. It's just called God Leads Us Along. And it's the chorus of the song that I like so much. And it says this, Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Found another version of the song. B.B. and C.C. Winus did a gospel version of it. That's a good one. That's the one I like. I'd take that one. And they said it like this. They said, some through the fire, some through the flood. But we're all overcomers if we trust in the blood. I'm going to tell you, all of us have faced circumstances. All of us have gone through things. For some of us, it was the fire. For some of us, it was the flood. But we've all overcome because we trust in the blood. I'm telling you, whatever you're going through today, it's the blood of Jesus that's still there. It's the blood of Jesus that's going to take you through. It's the blood of Jesus that you're going to look back and you're going to say, that's what got me through to my victory. Would you clap your hands to Oh, whatever you need today, there's a cross that's still there. There's blood that's still flowing. Oh, come on, somebody. And the cross says, finally, that Jesus' victory is our victory. We get to share in the victory of the cross. And I'm glad to tell you today that the cross was not the final chapter. The scriptures say that after he died, he rose again and ascended into heaven. And the writer of Hebrews says that our high, he is our high priest and he lives ever to make intercession of us. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren, but Christ is there to be our intercessor and our advocate and to deflect those accusations. Our Jesus isn't a stick figure on a keychain. He isn't a porcelain figure on a porcelain cross. He's more than a grotesque piece of statuary in a church graveyard. 
He's not reduced to a symbol that some people wear around their neck. Our Jesus is alive. He triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. And He was victorious. And His victory is what leads us to our victory. Jesus put all things under His feet. And when He did, He opened up the pathway for you and me to have victory even in 2020. Even in the midst of a pandemic. Even in the midst of political upheaval. Even in the midst of a world that's on shifting sand. His victory is our victory. There's no disease. There's no sin. There's no situation. There's no pain that can't be mended by the victory of the cross. The cross is fighting for you today. The cross is fighting for you today. The Scripture says in Ephesians 2 and 16 that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Enmity just means opposition. It just means hatred. So what He's saying here is that the cross has slain the opposition. The the cross has put all things under His feet. And when He did, it also put things under our feet. It also established the church. It also gave us victory to tread on serpents and scorpions, to say take up your bed and walk to say to the deaf to to hear to the blind to see and the dead to be risen again it was because it was because of this victory that Jesus Christ gave us on the cross that he established his church you could say he gave his life for the church acts couldn't happen without Calvary Holy Ghost baptism couldn't happen without the crucifixion But when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost, it was the power of God in us. And it makes us victorious men and women of God because the cross is still there. And it's saying to all who will hear, His victory is our victory. Amen. I'm going to ask the praise team to come as I begin to close today. God is dealing with someone today. God is talking to someone today. This is your word. Somebody came into this building. You're asked God for a word. You've gone as far as you can go. You've done all you can do. Your back's against the wall, and you ask God for a word, and this is it. You're hearing your word today. In 1988, Brother Steve, in the country of Armenia, there was an earthquake. It struck, and in less than minutes, in less than just a couple of minutes, It left 50,000 dead and over 5 million homeless. 1988, the country of Armenia. There's a story that came out of that event, that cataclysmic event, and it's documented. That earlier that morning, a father had driven his son to school and dropped him off at school there. Did what parents do when they drop their kids off to school. Gave him some encouraging words, encouraged him for the day. And he said, son, he said, I'll always be there for you. He turned the car around and headed out. And he hadn't gotten very far from the school when that pavement in front of the car began to ripple like the waves of an ocean. Tall buildings began to shake and fall into piles of debris. The father knew immediately what was happening. And he turned his car around and very precariously he picked his way through the the debris and the rubble and what was happening. And he made his way back to his son's school only to find that it had been flattened by the earthquake. He ran through the rubble, picking his way through without regard to caution, and he found his place approximately where his son's classroom would have been. 
And he began to dig. He began to dig. People came by, told him, said, stop digging. It's hopeless. Look at all this rubble. Look at what's going on. You don't know there might be another tremor coming. Give it up. But he wouldn't be deterred. Eight hours he dug, 12 hours he dug. Finally, people saw he wasn't going to give up, and they began to shake their heads and said, he's just digging his grief out. He's trying to just find an outlet for all that grief and this tragedy that's happened. 24 hours the father was still digging. Seeing that he was still at his task and would not be deterred, some offered to help him. Some brought him water. 32 hours he dug. 34 hours. In the 36th hour, he heard a noise. He shouted, somebody, come help me, I hear a noise. And together, they removed a boulder. When they removed it, they found a cavern. And in that cavern were 13 students and one teacher. And one of the students was his son. When his son saw his dad, he said, Dad, I kept telling them you would come. On that Bethlehem night when Mary held baby Jesus in in her arms, there were some angels that sang out over the Judean hillside to some shepherds. And they said, we bring you good tidings of great joy. You know what they were saying? I told you he would come. When John Baptist looked up out of that Jordan River, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You know what he was saying? I told you he would come. And when that Roman soldier, hardened, mean, angry, he took a knee at the foot of the cross and he said, Surely... This was the Son of God. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I told you he would come. I told you he would come. Let's stand today. What's got you buried in life? Is it a sin that you want to be set free from? Is it a grief? Is it a pain? Is it an affliction in your spirit? Is it something that you thought had gotten the best of you and you'd never be free from it? Do you need healing in your body today? Do you need encouragement for tomorrow? I'm telling you, He came. I'm telling you, He came. And I'm telling you, the cross is still there. It's still there. And it's still waiting for you to come bow under its arms and say, God, I need you. God, I need your blood. God, I need your power. Let's, let's talk to the Lord a moment right here. Let's talk to the Lord a moment right here. God, have your way. God, have your way right now. Somebody be sensitive to the, to the moving of God's Spirit right now. Oh, come on, let's just wait on the Lord a moment, church. Come on, we've heard the word of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Have your way right here, Jesus. Have your way right here, Jesus. In the name of Jesus.
We feel out to your presence right now, Jesus. We feel out to your presence right now, Jesus. These altars are open, folks. If you feel comfortable coming to the altar, they're open. If you want to pray where you're at, pray where you're at. And if you want the ministry team to come and minister to you, let them know, get their attention. But these altars are open, folks. God's doing a sovereign move right now. Let's find a place to pray. Let's find a place to pray right now. Come on. Come on. There's tears flowing. Come on. There's hearts being touched. Come on. We got to touch God right now. Come on. There's needs being met right now. Come on. Come on and stand at the foot of the cross. Come on and stand at the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name. Come on, in Jesus' name. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Come on. Come on, right where you are, let's pray. Let's pray in Jesus' name. God, I need you today. God, I need you today. God, I need you today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Come on, the cross is still here today. It's here for you. Come on, somebody get swept up in the blood of Jesus. Somebody get swept up in the message of the cross. Come on, that's it. That's it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you're praying in your pew today, would you make it an altar? Would you make your chair an altar? Would you make your pew an altar today? Come on, we're reaching out to God. Come on, we're reaching out to God. God, I got to have the cross in my life. I got to have the blood in my life. Jesus. Jesus.